Taking the time to actively listen for God can seem like a difficult task. It requires a conscious effort to tune in and listen up. Research suggests we're pretty good at not listening. In our daily conversations, we hear less than half of the content. We're so easily distracted and conveniently filter out sounds. What if in all the noise we could recognize and single out only God's voice? It may sound intimidating, but active listening can actually be fun. Let's practice with this catchy song. Take a listen. Do you recall what instruments chimed in? What happens if we take out an instrument? Would you notice? Let's listen again and see what happens. Did you notice the bass guitar was missing? Let's isolate only that instrument and listen. Isn't it nice to know what the bass sounds like so we can find it? Let's play the song one last time with all the instruments. Pay particular attention for the bass line. Did you hear it? Wasn't it easier to pick out this time? When we're familiar with the sound of God's voice, we can more easily recognize it. What if we made a conscious effort to tune in to Him? What hidden treasures might He reveal? Woo! Follow the baseline. We're talking about hearing God, listening to God, and it's a little bit like finding the baseline in a, in a uh, catchy tune. Da, 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 da. Sound like Love Boat or something like that. But once you get that bass line, bum, 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 well then once you get it, you can find it, you see? But remember this, you got to start with the bass, bass line, find out what the bass line is, then you can plug it into the song. If you start with the song, that noisy song, it's going to be very hard to follow the bass line. You'll find out why that's significant here in a little bit. I've got a message I'm going to give to you. It's not the message I thought I was going to give to you, but it's the message I'm supposed to give to you. Uh, I don't like that when that happens any more than you do, but it is what it is. And I'm not the boss around here. Unfortunately, this is, actually, fortunately, uh, this is Jesus' church. So I've got to listen to him, especially in a series where we're talking about following the Spirit. So, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of rocked my world, and I'm hoping it will rock yours. I think it will. But before I get there, I have to do a little housekeeping stuff here first, all right? Um, two minutes. Uh, we have, as most of you know, thousands of people who listen uh, every week on, online. We call them our podrishioners. Uh, they're parishioners, like all of us are, but they're, they're podcast parishioners, so we call them podrishioners. 
And I think as more and more churches get this, that should become a word that's always used. I'm, ter- I'm, I'm told that there's a lot of churches that do use that word. And it's even been proposed to Webster's Dictionary, but it hasn't been uh, voted in yet. But it will someday become a word. And when it does, I want everyone to remember where it originated, right here. Right? So we love our parishioners. And uh, uh, some of the, our parishioners, though they don't attend here, they, they support the church. We call them sustainers. They help sustain this ministry, including sustaining the ministry that offers podcasts for people for free. And, and we, we really appreciate it. About ten, they, don't, they don't attend here, but about 10% of our budget comes from these sustainers. So we ought to all say together on three, thank you to the sustainers. One, two, three. Thank you, sustainers. Appreciate you guys. <laughs> You're with us. All right. Usually we, 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 we do this, we have a sustained campaign once a year to encourage our listeners to get on board and become sustainers. Usually we just put that into the message, you know, before it gets sent out. We don't do it in-house here, but we thought, listen, if they're really part of us, we should just do this together. And so we're, 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 we're announcing the sustained campaign to everybody. Uh, we, our goal this year is to get 400 people, sustainers, to, uh, to, to support some. We'll be uh, re-signing up from before, but we need some new folks to sign up here as well. And we always, this sort of a thank you thing, we, give out, we have this t-shirt, here's my gum, you can have that gum. Uh, uh, we, we, we give out this t-shirt with our Nifty Communications team, comes up with a Nifty sort of slogan, and I guess that's this year's love, there you go. So uh, you, get, you get that, everyone who signs up for a regular schedule. Um, so if you are, we ask people to pray about that, consider that, and if you're open to, to uh, doing that, just go to woodland, no, whchurch.org slash sustain whchurch.org slash sustain. One other thing I have to mention is this. Uh, at the end of last year, we changed our server with the automatic giving thing. So if you sign up to be an automatic giver, uh, that program ended at the end of December. And if you haven't updated your program, you might want to check in on it because you might be thinking you're donating to the church, but you're actually not donating to the church. And the reason we think that is because ever since we made that change, we've been losing a couple thousand dollars a month. So you might want to check and see, like, are, are, is your giving actually getting here? Because it might not be. End of commercial. All right, so here's the deal. We're in a series called Listening to God. Where our relationship with God is not just supposed to be a monologue. It's supposed to be a dialogue where we hear. Um, thanks to Oshida last week doing such a great job in that message. Wasn't that a great message? Uh, very insightful, powerful, passionate. I appreciate especially Oshida. With Oshida, she's really a good fitter because what you see is what you get. Uh, there's no pretense. Uh, she's very, I just appreciate her honesty, her vulnerability. She's not always the perfect wife. She's not always the perfect disciple. Sometimes she gets mad at God. Sometimes she doesn't follow God. Sometimes she's not all great a mother. Lauren gets, you know, reams out her kids once in a while. We heard about that. So, so see, that's the power of the cross. Uh, here, we don't want to hide the things that most people are embarrassed by, our faults, our shortcomings, our failures. We, we, we want to just own them and, and actually uh, hold them up because we know that when we are weak, God is strong. Right? When, when we're falling, God's grace, however great our sin is, God's grace is greater. And the difference between a saint and a sinner is that the saint just keeps getting up, right? And so, so we're all loud about that, and I appreciate that about Ashita. Thank you, Ashita, for your honesty and vulnerability displaying the power of the cross. So he, he, here's a review of where we've been so far. Very quick a sum up. Uh, we've seen that God is a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God's very essence is relationship. And, and God is love. Love is a relationship. And guys, listen up. Relationships, guys, listen up. Relationships are all about communication. Not necessarily all verbal, but so to the degree that we have a genuine relationship, who I am is genuinely being communicated to you, and who you are is genuinely be, being communicated to me. 
not just verbally, but everything I'm doing. We communicate. Here I am presenting to you. And if that's honest, and if you're honest, we have to that degree a relationship. So God, to say God created you out of love for relationship is to say God created you out of love for dialogue. God wants to be conversing with us. God will be conversing with us, dialoguing with us throughout eternity, which makes this topic extremely, extremely important. We've uh, seen that that that's, uh, God's voice is, is, is not usually obvious, as Oshita talked about last week. God's not in the mountain that splits in two because of the wind or the earthquake or the fire that falls from heaven. She showed from 1 Kings uh, 19 that God is not in the obvious. He's in the still, small voice. He's in the inconspicuous. And that phrase in Hebrew, still small voice, or, or almost uh, sound of silence, is almost indiscernible. And the emphasis of the word is that it's not obvious. The, the, the word of God in our life is something which, lock this in, if you're not listening for it, you will miss it. If you're not an active listener, listening for that bass note, you're not going to find the bass note. It'll pass you by. Dallas Willard, uh, I reread part of his book, Hearing God, this week, and that's another great book to, to look into. Um, but he says this. It's, it's so simple, but so profound. He says, God ordinarily will not compete for your attention. Once in a while, he'll come along and knock a Saul off his high horse, but that's the exception. Ordinarily, God doesn't, doesn't compete. In fact, ordinarily, God wants to be sought. Wants us to seek him. The seeking is part of what builds our character to qualify us, to condition us to be able to hear God's voice and to obey God's voice. So he wants to be sought. If we're not seeking him, we will certainly miss him. And we, 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 we saw that, that this voice takes place in what we today call our imagination. Uh, in the ancient world, they didn't have that word. They, they talked about the mind's eye or the eyes or the ear of the heart. But they're referring to what we call our imagination, the, the mind's ability to see and experience things on the inside. We saw in, in Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about how when someone turns to the Lord, the veil over their mind gets removed. For all non-believers, Paul says, the God of this age has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. But when one turns to the Lord, Paul says, the veil over the mind is removed, and so now we can see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we see this glory, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. We saw this two weeks ago. And so for Paul, it's what we see that determines what we become. And our seeing, he says, it's through a mirror. And, and it, it, by that, he's just referring, in the ancient world, they didn't have like nice smooth mirrors like we do. It was just a kind of jaded reflection. So you're seeing an approximation, but you really are seeing Jesus. It's, it's mediated. It's not face-to-face like it will be in 1 John 3 when it says that in the end, we'll see him as he is, for we shall be like him in all of his glory. We're not there yet, but right now we, 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 we experience Jesus, but through a mirror, through our imagination. The Holy Spirit brings us the real Jesus. And, and so, so we, we need to, against everything our culture teaches us, we need to be people who learn to trust our imagination. That's where the, 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 the Lord speaks to us. Um, and that's where we're to engage with God. So we need to have times where we sit down and just open up our imagination to have times where we have a date with Jesus and dwell with Jesus and see Jesus, you know, hear Jesus and sense Jesus loving us the way he says he loves us in scripture, but now it's applied to us. Now we experience it for ourselves. And that's when it becomes transforming. It's when information becomes experiential that it becomes transformative in our life. So the church has always referred to the imagination as the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary, 
the chapel, the inner chapel that we can retreat to, to go and commune with God. And that happens via the imagination. It's not just having special times with God, though. We saw that, that in God's design, in God's plan, he wants to be talking with us all the time. This is to be the ordinary of the Christian life, where, where we're in touch with what's going on inside of us to respond to what God's saying to us. Um, and so in, in, the, in the book of Acts, like, this was just part of the ordinary life for people. They, they're, they're, they're going around and preaching the gospel, and the Holy Spirit says, go there, so they go. And the Holy Spirit says, don't go there, so they don't go. It wasn't like a weird thing for them. Like someone like, hey, I think I'm sensing God. I think, I think I might be getting a word from God. I don't think we're supposed to go there. No way, come on. No, it wasn't like that. It was their ordinary thing. Hey, I don't think we're supposed to. It wasn't an external voice. There's nothing in the text that says that the Holy Spirit was, had an audible voice. They sense God the same way we sense God today. It was someone sensed I'm not supposed to go there. Someone else said, I agree. And they, they conclude the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go there. But see, these are people who believe that God is real, who believe that God really wants to talk with us today, has, has jobs for us to do every day, and therefore these are people who listen, pay attention to, are active listeners to what is going on in their heart, in their mind, in their imagination. And they respond to it. They don't overthink it because, well, if, if God's real, we expect him to talk, and there he goes. He talks. It's their normal. Paul describes the ordinary of the Christian life this way. In Romans 8, listen to this. And this was the passage that began to get me off track this week. Uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Can you pause for a moment? The flesh here is not our physical skin. When Paul uses this word flesh, it's the word sarx in Greek. And, and it, it's referring to the physical world for sure. But it's mostly referring to a false way of looking at the physical world. It's looking at the physical world as though the physical world was all there is. So the mindset of the flesh, it's not about what you believe. You can believe anything you want. It's how you live. It's the assumptions you make. It's how you experience the world. And insofar as we experience the world as though all the things that we know are true in the spiritual realm, as though they were not true, to that degree we're living in the flesh. Living in the flesh has nothing to do with what you believe. It has to do with living as though and experiencing the world as though it were not true that Jesus Christ was Lord. As though it were not true that he has entire rights over our life. As though it were not true that, 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 that God is, is with us all throughout the day and so on and so on and so on. That's the flesh. And if you're walking in the spirit, you work against the flesh. You take your orders not from what's the ordinary thing that people do based on what they observe in this world. That's how most people operate. Most people... If this world is all there is, then, then, then we act as though it's appropriate to, to have my best life now, to be as, have things as convenient as possible, as comfortable as possible, as trouble-free as possible. That's what it is to live in the flesh. But if you're living in the Spirit, Paul says you're taking your orders from a different source. You're getting your, your, your marching orders are from God, not from just the ways of the world, the flesh of the world. And Paul says that this flesh is hostile to God, the things of God, this mindset, these assumptions, these lies... It's hostile to the things of God. doesn't mean that if you have a flesh mindset that you're not saved, but it does mean that you have a mindset that's hostile to God. And so the truth about who you are and, 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 and what God has for you because of who you are, all that truth gets blocked because of this flesh mindset. Now here's the thing. In the early church, they understood. They died to that. They understood that we're not just here for the here and now. We're not just here to, to, to carry out our obligations or, or, or whatnot. And so their norm was just to listen to the Spirit of God and to give credibility to the Spirit of God and to respond to the Spirit of God. That was their norm. Our norm is not normal. Uh, look, here's the thing. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever in terms of his essential character. Uh, he's still talking. 
God's still relational. God's still triune. God's still Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God still created you for the purpose of love, which means for the purpose of dialoguing with you. God still is talking to people. God still wants to unmove veils from people's minds. God still wants to open people's eyes to see the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. God still wants to transform people on the basis of what they see. God still wants to lead people and guide people and instruct people and use people to reach other people and help people. God's still in that business. What's changed is not God's normal. What's changed is our normal. And the change, we've got to say, is a change in the direction of the flesh. The church, God is still speaking. The head is still talking to the body. We're the body of Christ. The head doesn't stop talking to the body any more than my head stops talking to my body. What's changed is the body. It's like the body now has got a severed neck or something. The body of Christ, at least in the West, is a largely, to a large degree, a paraplegic body. The, the, the head's sending messages. Hey, fingers, I want you to do this, but the fingers can't hear it. And he's saying, foot, move here, but the foot can't hear it. And mouth, speak this, but the mouth can't do it. It's because our mindset has completely changed. Ask this question. Does this describe you? And I'll tell you ahead of time that to a frightful degree, it describes me. So give yourself permission to be honest about this. And admitting that, once again, we're talking about the power of the cross, right? I'm not going to say I'm exemplar on this. Does this describe you? It describes me too much, to too much of a degree. You wake up in the morning, maybe you say some prayer, maybe you thank God for the day, maybe you ask him to help, whatever. But before too long, maybe automatically, your mind is filled with what you got to do, the jobs you got to do, the pictures you got to go, the people you got to meet, the things you got, problems you got to solve, the boss you got to satisfy, there's all these things. And then you spend most of the rest of the day doing that. And maybe in the middle of the day, you cry out for God for help because something didn't work right. And maybe at the end of the day, you give God thanks for the whole thing. But 99%, maybe 99.9%, maybe 99.99% of the actual waking moments of your day are lived as though God was not real. As though God didn't have anything to say to you. As though you had the right to make your own plans and carry out your own schemes. Be the Lord of your own life. That is by definition the flesh. And it is to a frightful degree our normal. Our normal... America, Christian, our normal is hostile to God. What we think is just normal, living our life, carrying out our plans, doing our things, not hearing God, that's hostile to God, and to that degree, we're not going to hear the voice of God. That's our norm. I was supposed to preach on how to discern the voice of God. I mean, it's all the other voices in our, our brain, and I'm going to kind of do that, I think. I think. I'm not sure. But here's the thing. <clears throat> I've come to see that the problem is way deeper than that. <clears throat> Like, setting it up, like, discern the voice of God, it's like, I felt like I should try to give you the, the contours of the voice. It sounds like this. It's, it's diff- has this kind of a feel. Has this kind of whatever. <laughs> but it's almost like it's an intellectual question. Academically, how is the voice of God different from all the other voices in your head? Hmm, let's ponder this. But see, here's the thing. That, that acts as though all those other voices are supposed to be there. And so, so it all of a sudden occurred to me, and our problem is this. It's like, we're inviting, we have a flesh-filled mindset. Most of the time, our brain is occupied 100% with what we got to do with what's in front of us and the needs of the day. And as though it were not true that God exists and we live forever and there's no higher purpose than what's going on right now. We live like that. That's the flesh mindset. And, and, and it, it, then we ask, how can we hear the voice of God? So we have all this stuff, all these concerns, all these got to do, got to do, got whatever. And now, where's, where's God in this? It's kind of like finding where's Waldo. You ever do those where's Waldo pictures? They're a lot of fun with my kids. So where's Waldo? You find Waldo on that. Good luck. Now, actually, Waldo, he is very clear. Show us Waldo. Where's Waldo? There he is. 
So Waldo's very clear. There's no problem seeing Waldo. The trouble's not Waldo. Just look for the guy with the red stripes and weird hat and glasses and you got Waldo. The problem is Waldo's not alone. Waldo's filled with other, he's, he's surrounded by all these other people, all these other things, which drowned out Waldo. So it is in the flesh. It's like we, we have this flesh mindset where we're concerned. We live our life as though we're our own Lord. We're carrying our own jan, plans, all of this. And now in the midst of this hostile to God framework, we look for the voice of God. What's wrong with this picture? Let's look for the voice of God in the midst of a framework that's hostile to God. No wonder we can't find Waldo. We invite Jesus into our already crammed lives and wonder, where's Jesus? And we invite Jesus into our already crammed fleshy mindset and we go, where's Jesus? Where's the voice of God? I submit to you that the voice of God is a good communicator. God doesn't have any speech impairments. He communicates very clearly. If you want to hear the voice of God, you can, but you got to get rid of the competition. God will not do competition if we've got competition in our head. First concerns, primary loves, obligations, filling our head 24-7. God can't get a word in, in edgewise. Where's God? Why doesn't God talk to me? Maybe if we shut up for a second, we could hear him. <laughs> our brains are fleshy. Filled with obligations and duties and nothing but that. And if we're trying to hear the voice of God in the midst of all that, it's going to be quite futile. See, here's the thing, and I just begin to see this, is that in the flesh mindset, we, it, it's all centered on self. It's all just centered completely on self. The essence of the flesh is self. And so the self, it, 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 it sets up, it, it sets up its own norm. And, 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 and we like it where we're comfortable. We like it where things are convenient. We like it where things are in control. And we bristle at anything else that, that, that threatens that. We like, to, we like to let it go our way. We get it our way. That's the essence of the flesh. And to invite the spirit in, by definition, is the antithesis of that. Because you're saying, I let the spirit, the spirit can go his way. See, instead of trying to cram Jesus into our normal, maybe we ought to try to tra fit our normal into Jesus. And Jesus tells us how to do this. It's very easy. We illustrated it with a bass note. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. He goes to this Jewish audience, you know those pagans, those Gentiles, they're always wondering, what am I going to wear? What am I going to put on? What am I going to do? How am I going to live? Their brain is filled with the flesh concerns. The Gentiles strive after all things to these things, but you guys, you know your heavenly father knows that you need these things, so trust him. So strive, instead of striving, uses the same word. Instead of striving first for the clothing and the security and the house and the comfort and the convenience, instead of striving first for that, strive for this one thing first. And that is the reign of God, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, his right relatedness. Make that the primary concern of your life and trust God for all these other things. They'll be added unto you. What Jesus is saying is this, don't try to find my voice amidst the crammed head of all your fleshy concerns. Rather, wipe those fleshy concerns clean. Wipe the slates clean and start with the base note. Start with the voice of Jesus. Make that your highest priority. And the thing, the one thing that will cut through all the chatter in your brain, all the concerns, all of that. And the only thing that will cut through all of that is your passion to hear the voice of God, your desire to really walk according to the Spirit, your desire to transcend the bondage of the flesh that can zero you in on the voice of God. And I, I can't say never because I can never say never because God can do whatever God wants. But I'll tell you my experience. When there's been ambiguity, when I can't quite discern the will of God, more often than not, in fact, almost always, it's on me, not God. God speaks very clearly. The question is, do I really want to hear what he's got to say? Do you really want to hear what he's got to say? 
When you eliminate the competition, you, you, can, you can find Waddle. It's not hard. Do you want to find him? So here's a confession in the interest of the power of the cross, where we don't hide our mistakes. I will confess to you that this sermon almost didn't happen. I fought it very hard. I'm a valiant warrior. Unfortunately, I'm a valiant warrior against God. Because see, here's the thing. I had, a, I had a sermon planned. I'd already spoke with my sermon team. already processed it. We have a process we go through. Done my research. Read a couple books. Got this whole thing. I was comfortable with this sermon. I was confident with this sermon. I was excited about this sermon. It was a damn good sermon. Let me tell you, it was, a, it was ready to go. And then, boom, uh, mess you up. And I'll tell you, I, I look at it. So I get this picture. Get this picture. I'm preparing a sermon on listening to God and obeying God. And all the while, I'm resisting the Spirit doing it. I wouldn't listen to me either. I've got no credibility. I'm a hypocrite, totally hypocrite. And that's just the power of the cross that anyone shows up. I don't get it myself. But so, so that's the thing is that, that it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. And, and it's, it's, it's the power of the cross. So I'm preparing a sermon on hearing God all the while resisting God. Because here's why. I was comfortable with this. I was secure in this. I know my way around this one. I'm familiar with this. I got this in my back pocket, all right? And if I do this, you'll you probably think it's going to be good and you'll applaud and maybe you'll like me. I'll get some points. That is 100% pure, unadulterated flesh. Yes, you can do flesh while you're preparing a sermon on the Spirit. It's easy. In fact, what scares me is it's so normal. See, the reason I didn't catch it earlier, I resisted it. It wasn't until everything I had planned fell flat. As I'm trying to put it together, I said, nothing works, nothing works, nothing works. Finally, I cry, uncle. Uncle, what are you doing up there? What, what, what am I supposed to preach? And finally, it's like, duh, I got something else planned. In my life, the way it sometimes works is he's got to make me increasingly miserable until he gets my attention. I, I wish I wasn't like that. but so, so I finally cry, uncle. And see, so to say yes to the Spirit means now I've got to, and, and I, I'm, I'm seeing connections I haven't seen before. I'm feeling this fire, but I don't know what to do with it. And, and, I, and I, whatever I get like this, my words feel totally inadequate. And it's like stepping out of the boat. And you don't know where it's going to go. And you just might screw up. What if the Holy Spirit doesn't come through? And I, I get to a point where I don't know what I'm going to say. I might be embarrassed. And then I won't get points from you guys and you won't like me. <laughs> but see, if I did that, that'd be great because that'd be the power of the cross. See, Paul, last week, two weeks ago, he didn't brag. He didn't say, I'm eloquent or wise. He goes, I thank God that I'm not eloquent or wise. Because that's what displays the power of the cross. So if I ever get up here and just kind of stumble through the thing, it might be because I didn't prepare and that's on me and bad me. But it might just be that God pushed me out of the boat and said, start walking. And I'm trying to do it up here and glorify the God of the cross. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm not eloquent, he's going to be fine. When I'm not wise, then he is very wise. He, he uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong and the foolish things to confound the wise. So folks, here's the thing. You can, do, you can do total flesh while you're preparing a sermon. I wonder how many times I've done that. Now that I look back on it, because this, this was so easy for me. Um, it, 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 in fact, most religion is nothing but flesh. It's dressed up flesh. The essence of the flesh is self. And so, so what we look for is you're, if you're living in the flesh mindset is you want, you want what, what, what will pamper the self, what will further the self-interest, um, what makes you feel comfortable, what are you at home with, what, what, what is it that, 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 that makes your life better? That's the essence of the flesh. And we do it in our head. We do it in our head by being addicted to our own self-thoughts. What do I want to do? What's my agenda? What are my plans? I like it that way because I'm in control. There are no surprises. I'll never be caught off guard. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. That's called being Lord of your own life. We do it in our head and we do it in our lives. 
The flesh way of life is that uh, I'm living for number one. This life is all there is. So I surround myself with the people that are most like me, the people I get along with, the people that look like me, the people that share my taste, that share my culture, that share my taste in music. I don't feel awkward around them. They don't act funny. They don't talk funny. Their breath doesn't smell funny. Everything's predictable. Everything's normal. That's how I like it. That's how the fallen world likes it. And so we surround ourselves with sameness, and that's what creates the isolation. And that's what creates the tribes, and that's what creates the nations, and that's what creates the wars, and that's why this world is so screwed up. At the heart of this world, I want us to see this, the flesh mindset is xenophobia, fear of the other, because our security is found in what we control and what is like us and what is same. It's an intrinsic part of the fallen world. There's even a biological basis for it, but most of it's socialized. But we all have this xenophobia, fear of the other, fear of what we don't control, fear of what's unexpected, fear of what's unpredictable, fear of what's strange and weird. Our tribe doesn't do it that way. That's weird. That person looks weird. That person does it funny. And there's a fear, a suspicion there. And that's behind all the violence of this world. It's, it, it's the very essence of the flesh. It's the very essence of this fallen world. The kingdom of God locked us in. Holy Spirit locked us in. Make it cement in our brains. The kingdom of God moves in the exact opposite direction. And the Spirit of God moves in the exact opposite direction because the Spirit of God is always in service to the kingdom of God. It's always not about fearing the other, the suspicion of the other, but rather a love of the other. If the essence of the world is xenophobia, the essence of the kingdom of God is xenophilia, a love of the other, a love of what is different, the embrace of the, the, the one that's not on the inside. And you find this throughout the Bible, beginning to end, Old Testament, over and over again. Israelites, treat those non-Israelites as though they were Israelites. Welcome them in as one of your own. Take care of the alien, the orphan, the widow, and all the rest. And then the New Testament gets even more intense. Because you have this message, as God has been hospitable to us. Hospitable is just the translation of the word xenophilia, a love of the other. When we were other, when we were xeno to God, when we were enemies of God, when we were aliens, God sacrificed everything to include us, the farthest of us, to make us insiders when we were outsiders. And then God turns to us and says, go thou and do likewise. And that is the charter of the kingdom right there. Take the hospitality that God has extended towards you, that radical otherness, that love of otherness that God has extended towards you, and now replicate that towards all people at all times. It's why in Jesus' ministry, he was breaking every taboo you could break. Talking to women when you're not supposed to talk to women, and talking to Samaritans when you're not supposed to talk to Samaritans, and complimenting centurions when you're supposed to hate centurions. He loved all the wrong people, huh? And he refused to hate the right people. He just didn't fit in. That's why he got crucified. The flesh religion of his time dying just judged him. Because you know what? If you're living in the kingdom and you have this love of other and love of difference, the people who are in charge of the status quo are going to go berserk. Like they did with Jesus. He's hanging out with prostitutes, hookers. He's hanging out with the, the tax collectors, all the wrong people. And that's going to ruin his reputation. Birds of a feather flock together. He's a wine river. He's a womanizer. What a pagan. Ha. And yet here he is. He's representing. He's manifesting. He's incarnated in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is characterized by this radical, scandalous inclusivity. And it's beautiful. The thing that blocks it and destroys it is this flesh mindset that wants sameness and predictability, and we want it our way. And if you're getting it your way, you're not getting it the Spirit's way, you're not getting it God's way, you're not getting it the kingdom of God's way. It means this, folks, folks, I, I've never seen this as clear as I do now. The essence of the kingdom is always going to be about pushing back on xenophobia. Because we all have xenophobia, and if you think you don't, you really have xenophobia. You're just so doctrine, you just don't realize it. No, this fear of the other. And, and, and this, the Spirit of God is always going to be moving in that direction. 
of radical inclusivity. That's why Jesus was known for this. The early church was known for this. No, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male, male. It puzzled the world. Read the Didache. It's a second century uh, church document. He's explaining. We Christians, we, just, we share all things in common except for our wives. That's what he says. We share everything except for our wives. And the world is puzzled by it. Well, what is it with you people? You're not doing the normal way. You don't look normal. You're not living normal. The essence of the kingdom is pushing against xenophobia. If you're walking in the spirit, you're going to be pushing against that flesh xenophobia. And the, the spirit of God, when the spirit of God's in you, there's an impulse that starts to notice and starts to love and starts to cherish differences. Instead of judging them the way the world does, you start to see the beauty in that. And there's a desire to start including. It, 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 it's there on the day of Pentecost, you guys. When the Holy Spirit's poured out, everyone hears people speaking in tongues in the different languages and, and, and they understand it. And what the Holy Spirit's communicating there is that where the spirit of God is moving, Walls that separate people like languages are going to be falling down. Dividers are going to be coming down. Hostilities are going to be brought to an end. People who don't usually hang out together are going to find ways to hang out together. People that are usually separated by a million miles are going to be in the same room together. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's the kingdom of God. It's moving out towards xenophilia, embracing the other. See, I, I've never seen this. What that means, folks, is that if you're not in an environment where you are regularly being put, having your xenophobia pushed back on, you're not in the right environment. The essence of the kingdom is this. If this is missing, then whatever else is going on, it's not kingdom. And it's just got me to see that this consumer model of church where you get it your way, I, I don't know how else to say this, but it is anti-Christ. The worst thing you could do for a person, if our normal is hostile to God, the worst thing you could do is say, hey, that's fine, great normal you got there. No, you would have to pamper people. This is what consumer Christianity does. It's like, what's your preference? We can meet that. Uh, in fact, we can meet that better than the church next door. So you want to come here? And see, that's the competition of religious Christianity in America. And whoever gets the most attenders wins. Ha ha, yay, good for you. So, so you get your preference. If you have different preferences, well, then you go down the street to that church. That's the church of that preference. This is the church of these preferences. And that's the church of those preferences. And now we're all wonderfully segregated in the name of Jesus Christ. I submit to you the thing about all the reasons that people give in the flesh mindset for not going to church or any particular church would be a reason to go to church. For example, if you go to church, you're supposed to feel like, am I comfortable here? Maybe if you're not comfortable, that would be a reason to stay. Because maybe something's getting challenged. Your normal is not being okayed. And maybe you're sitting there like, well, you know, I, I just, I mean, I, I, these, aren't, these people are not quite like me. There's not enough of my types around here. Do you know that for the majority of white people, when they're in an environment where there's not at least 80% white people, they feel in a minority because you're used to feeling in more of a majority than that. And so they get uncomfortable. They want to leave. And they usually do, I'm finding. Uh, but but here, here's the thing. You can't just leave that there. To say you get your preferences, the worst thing you can do is to leave that there. Maybe if you go to church and you know, they, they don't all look like you, that'd be a great reason to stay. Hey, they don't all do the worship songs the way you like. You can't quite find the downbeat on that one song, could you, huh? Well, that's a good reason to stick around because there's other people there who really love that song and you might just find yourself being a Spaniard a little bit by learning how to love their music and learning how to love these people with that music and now the kingdom's beginning to happen. You go to a place and you know, people, they smell funny. These people, they don't shower enough because they're homeless and, and they haven't showered for a month and I like to go to church where I don't sit next to somebody who's going to stink. Why? Well, that's a great reason to stay there. If you got a church, you go to church and you sit next to a stinky person who hasn't had a shower for a month because they haven't been, you're in the right place. Stay around. Thank God there's a person. And you see, the thing is, if, if you have a radically inclusive, loving community, 
where, where, where loving people is the priority, not figuring out all the ethical issues, all the problems, with her, but just loving and including, belonging is, is, is the number one issue. Where you get that going, oh, it's just the, the, the beauty that can break out there. I, you know, I, I praise God where Woodland Hills is at. We've, we've been growing in this direction for a long time, xenophilia, and, and, and increasingly diverse, and we're increasingly weird. Because we, this all-inclusive love, you know, if you, if you have a thing where everyone is equal and you really believe that and you start to model that, the people who are already equal out there, they're not going to be that interested. But it's the ones who aren't equal. They hunger for this. And that's why Paul said, you know, there's not many mighty, not many powerful that get called to the gospel. They, they, they got their best life now. It's those who are weak, those who are the disenfranchised, those who are the outsiders, who aren't winning in the world's systems. Those are the ones who are more hungry for what God has to offer. And as you start saying that, people are going to start showing up all over the place, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. People come to church here, and if, if you're expecting church is normal, then you ought not to get it here. I don't want you to get it here. Go down. You want normal? Go someplace else. I don't want to do normal. I'm tired of doing normal. Normal's boring. I, really? I don't know. I don't see enough. I got this. I don't see enough church-like folk here. This doesn't feel like the kind of place where churchy people go. Man, I come here. There's two guys holding hands. I don't even know what gender that person is over there. And, I, and this person's worshiping way too loud. And they're dancing way too this way. Good reason to stick around because you're in an environment where the spirit of God's moving. Amen. It ought to be the case. If God's moving, no one gets all their way, and everyone gets a little of their way. And, and see, we're, that's how we learn to love each other. See, what I've come to see, and I never saw this as clear as I see it right this moment. But it's, it's to do this, this, this radically inclusive kingdom, xenophilia, overcoming xenophobia, uh, to do that is the power of the cross. I've never made this connection before. Two things here. That's the power of the cross, number one. Because see, to a dominant culture, and in America that's white people, Everything Zeno, unless you've been trained otherwise, everything Zeno is judged as less than, as that one lady said. You're homeless, you're less than. You're not white, you're less than. You're, you're Muslim, you're less than. We have all these criteria that make you less than. We rank people and file them in different ways. That's, that's the essence of consumer Christianity. You bring it our ways. Less than. But yeah, in this community, there's no less thans. There's only... Jesus is the all-time great equalizers. And, and, and we're equalized not because we're all just wonderful. Okay, our normal is jacked. That's all I meant. What equalizes us is that we're all equally broken, and yet we're all equally loved, and that is the kingdom. Manifest that. Manifest that. That's the kingdom right there. So yeah, that was the first thing. The second thing, and I close with this, I think. <laughs> See, I really like it better when I know what I'm doing up here. It's, 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 it's a whole lot easier. But I, I, I just, you know, to trust in the power of the cross is not to trust in your own adequacy. Yeah, you do your best, you prepare. I don't believe in being a slouch or anything. But, but having done that, the question is, I, I'm all for preparing and studying for sermons. I, I, I don't like that whole, we were talking, Pentecostals, you know, uh, it's actually a sign of lack of trusting God if you prepare anything before you get up to speak. And having heard a number of Pentecostal sermons, I wish they didn't have that theology because they could use a little preparation. I'm just telling you. It's not just Pentecostals. Okay, so prepare, study. But the question is this. Is that Lord of your life or is Jesus? Because if Jesus is Lord of your life, then this can't be Lord of your life, which means as you're preparing and studying and doing your stuff, you have to have your ear cupped. 
as you go through life, whatever else you got going on. Yeah, you got to think about what you're going to wear a little bit, but have your, your cup. Be listening. Make that your highest priority. More important than what you eat or what you wear or what you preach. Are you listening to God? Are you, are you, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you combating that flesh? Are you pushing it off against xenophobia? Are you exercising xenophilia? Make that number one. Seek first the kingdom of God. And the Word of God becomes very, very clear. It requires us to die. And that's the, that's the rub. This all comes down to this, you guys. Here's how fundamental it is. Is Jesus Lord of our life or not? Because <laughs> here, here's where we're at. Church in America, paraplegic body of Christ. Jesus is Lord of our life. We confess that. Uh, but then when it comes to actually living our life, he's not Lord of this moment or this moment. I'm doing what I want this moment. I'm doing what I think this moment. I'm carrying out my plans this moment. This, and so it is for 99.9% of the moments that make up my actual life. So great, I surrender my life to Christ. I surrender 0.01% of my life to Christ because that's what I actually give him. To surrender your life to Christ means you surrender this moment and the next moment and the next moment over. Which means you die this moment and the next moment. Die to that old self-interested self of yours, that fleshy self, that wah, 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 I want it my way self. I like it my way. I like it this way. I like what I expect. I don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't like to feel awkward. I don't like to feel like that. I don't know what's going on. I don't like to feel like I'm out of place. I don't, I don't, I don't. I, 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 I. Die to it. Die to it. Shut the thing up. Kill it. That old carcass yapping self of yours. And, and see, here's the thing. All that yapping, that's all those things out there that are not Waldo. Shut that up and Waldo becomes pretty clear. And now you can add on. As you're dying, talking with Jesus, add on what you need to add on. What you're going to wear, all those other concerns. But you start with Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. So my, my, my challenge here is this, you guys. I love where Woodland Hills is at. I feel like we've got a long way to go. I, I, like we've just begun to tap the beauty of this radically inclusive, wonderful kingdom here. Uh, where people come and they got all sorts of questions. I, 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 I want to be exploring. I want to be living in the question. What does it look like for us? To really be in, giving a voice to people who don't have a voice. To really be trusting in the power of weakness and littleness and smallness. What would it look like to be empowering children? Lauren shared about how her child virtually prophesied to her through a song in the middle of a hard time. What would happen if we empowered our kids to do more of that? Like, you guys, you are empowered to speak for God. We want to listen to you. And there's going to be a lot of questions we've got to answer, a lot of problems we've got to solve. But what would it mean to empower... Whoever the world disempowers, let's empower them. Huh? Let's just do the opposite. Whoever's a nobody, we make somebody. Whoever's invisible, we want to make visible. Whoever's weak, we want to proclaim the strong. Whoever's on the bottom, we want to put them up on top. It makes me wonder. I'm just going nuts up here. It makes me, how, how much, I ask you guys, how much have I been like relying on my own skill, my own power here? The only reason God got my attention here is because he made me miserable. Nothing was working out. So how many times did he not succeed? And I'm just going to tell you what a loser I'm in. So you thank God that Jesus Christ is who he is because he can still work through me. I wouldn't do it if I was him. But, but folks, it comes, I, I, I feel this like a time bomb. There is something so beautiful. It's beginning to happen here. It can happen here much more than it is. The linchpin, however... If we hit on a program, like, how can we get a greater diversity in our church? How can we do this? Forget that. That's flash. It's flash. Just it comes down to this. Here's the linchpin. Will we let God, the stranger, into our hearts? God is the ultimate stranger, the ultimate zeno. God's totally other, different than we are. And so nothing confronts our flesh like God. I like my flesh, I like it my way, I like my comfort, I like my convenience, I like to be in charge, I like to call the shots, I like to feel like, like, like I'm in place. 
You invite God in, all bets are off. Total insecurity. You don't know what God's going to do. You have to have a normal common sense plan and stuff. But, but to invite God in, that, that's, well, and that's what it means to make Jesus Christ Lord of our life. That still small voice in the imagination wants to talk with you all day long. As we leave here, can we leave as people who are committed to living and thinking as if it was true that God is a relational, loving God who wants to talk with us, who wants to dialogue with us in that still small voice. And knowing that, believing that, can we pay attention? Pay attention to what's going on there. And as you follow that still small voice, I guarantee you, whatever else is accomplished in your life, it's going to lead you in a xenophilia direction. You're going to find yourself getting a little bit outside your comfort zone, going outside of your little familiar circle, starting to go places you haven't gone before. God's going to lead you there. And as you bring that in the body of Christ, this becomes more diverse. And now the power of the cross and the beauty of God is being put on display. And maybe 10 out, 9 out of 10 people who come here are going to say, yeah, this is a weird church. This is, I don't like this place. This is weird. This screws me up. This is what I was expecting. Fine. They go to their preference. But maybe 1 out of 10 will say, whoa, this, I haven't seen this before. This is the kingdom. I am going to end with this word here, right? Okay, this is my last word. I promise. Okay, I shouldn't promise. Okay, so, no, what was I going to say? I can't remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> we just stand. Maybe it'll come to me. See, it's a whole lot better when I know what I'm going to say. I, I like it better that way, but God's God. Uh, uh, you guys, can we open our hearts, really open our hearts up to the Lord? And if you are having trouble with that, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Don't try to pretend. Just ask, God, I really am scared to let you in. Will you help me? Will you help me? Okay, and, and, and just confess your weakness. And as he begins to come in, you're going to find everything gets topsy-turvy. Uh, if you're here this morning, have any need that could use prayer at the end of the service, which is right now, come up here and pray with the folks who are at the stairs. They'd love to pray with you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to consider becoming one because it is happening. And uh, come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain to you what that is all about. And as we leave here, can we just do it as people who are unconditionally open to the voice of God as we go out to love our neighbors? If you're in agreement with that, say amen. amen. All right, God bless you. Go out and love your neighbors. Amen.